Not drinking tonight. Is it for drinking tonight? Not drinking tonight. Oh, not drinking tonight. Oh, Charger. She's not drinking tonight. Yeah, right. Pardon? Who? Hello, hello, and happy Friday. Welcome to Becky's Not Drinking Tonight. My name is Beck, obviously. And before we get started down the chaotic journey to my sobriety, a small disclaimer that this episode and most episodes will feature content such as mental health, suicide and depression, and a plethora of other nasty things. This is not a podcast filled with kittens, rainbows, and unicorns, unfortunately, but it is somewhat entertaining to listen to all the mistakes I have made during my 30 years of living. This week's episode is called Becky's Not Drinking Tonight with Family. We're going to explore the age-old theory that alcoholism runs in the family. While I definitely agree that this is true in some instances, particularly where there is intergenerational trauma or a history of mental illness such as depression, I don't think it's always the case. In my journey to becoming sober, I read an incredible book by Dr. Gabor Mate titled In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. In this book, Dr. Mate espouses his knowledge on addiction, having worked as a GP in Vancouver's Skid Row. He dealt with a plethora of issues that generally plague poorer neighbourhoods, one of the main issues being addiction. What fascinated me about this book was that he introduces this notion of intergenerational trauma resulting in severe addiction. For instance, he himself faced severe addictions in the form of working excessively and spending copious amounts of money on things such as records. He was able to understand through his experiences and his research that his addictions were not dissimilar to those of people who used heroin. I mean, sure, the severity and consequences are vastly different, but the root cause is essentially the same. His grandparents survived the Holocaust and through their raising of his mother, they passed down their trauma. This then extended to him. In extreme circumstances, such as war zones, heavily drug-influenced areas, or even refugee camps, it might be easier to pinpoint the trauma and see how it manifests in later generations. For instance, if a child watches their parents suffer and they understand that resorting to a specific substance makes them happy, they are more likely to follow in these footsteps. But what Dr. Mate believes is that even where trauma isn't prevalent within a family, even where the parents outwardly show no signs of addictions, the trauma that is suffered impacts in utero cells, essentially changing the DNA. So why do I bring this up? Well, one question I often face is whether alcoholism runs in my family. The easy answer is no. No one in my family on either side had ever been diagnosed with alcohol use disorder or died due to complications with alcohol. In fact, I never saw my father or my mother touch a drop of alcohol once before I was perhaps in my early 20s. The only alcoholic I knew in my family was from anecdotal stories of my paternal great-grandfather, who was extremely abusive towards his wife, and one night in alcoholic rage, he shot and killed her. Alcohol was always a hard topic to broach with my father. See, he had his stomach pumped due to severe alcohol poisoning in his late teens and had been sober ever since. This was obviously a terrible situation that had a lasting impact, but I think the main reason he hated alcohol so much was because in 1993, his mother was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. 
He's never really recovered from the impact of losing his best friend, idol and confidant, so it's completely understandable why he would view alcohol as an evil substance. So if I never saw my parents drink as a kid, then why did I end up having an issue with alcohol? I mean, obviously this is what we're exploring in this podcast, and perhaps after 10 or 20 episodes we'll understand that it was a cocktail of trauma, spice, and nothing really nice. If we were to isolate the issues and look at my family's influence, however, the easiest answer would be that I drank because I suffered severe childhood abuse by the hands of my mother. That being said, I don't want this to insinuate that only people who suffer abuse have issues with alcohol. That is very far from true, but I do think that people who suffer trauma at any point in their life are more likely to resort to addictive substances as a coping mechanism. My journey with alcohol started when I was 15. My father thought that he was being responsible by only giving me two of the four pineapple cruises he had bought to take to one of my friend's brother's parties. Unfortunately for him, two cruises was enough for me to get drunk and begin my journey to drinking to feel a sense of belonging. See, I had always admired my bigger brother. Everyone in my family does. He's one of those infuriating people who is naturally good at everything he tries, is smart beyond his years, and is a genuinely super nice person. I was aware from a very young age that he was the golden child. My mother always favoured him over me, and as I'm sure every second child in the history of the world will tell you, it is a never-ending battle to try to prove that you are just as good as the firstborn. For instance, we both played hockey as children. My brother consistently made the representative teams at a younger than normal age, and I didn't. When I finally made my first representative team, I was 9 or 10 and I was selected for the B team, i.e. the worst of the rep teams for my age. Firstly, my mother made it known that it was nothing to be proud of that I had made the B team. My brother always made the A team and quite often played for his own rep team and the age group above as well. Secondly, she refused to watch me play my first rep game. She put me on a bus with no money sent me away and then was three hours late to pick me up when we returned. She made it abundantly clear that me attending this rep weekend was severely impeding our family because of the cost of it. However, she was more than willing to spend $500 on a new hockey stick for my brother when he made the Queensland shadow team for under 13s. In primary school, my brother was known as Know-It-All Hall. I, on the other hand, was known as Hawley's little sister. And so you see, I almost learned that it was him that I had to aspire to be. If I wanted my mother's love and approval, I needed to be exactly like my big brother. In high school, I didn't really have many friends for the first two years. My brother, on the other hand, was known by almost everyone. Teachers loved him and students saw him as this lovable guy with a big afro. He had a solid group of friends and I think there were very few people who didn't like him, if any. I, on the other hand, had a mop head of bronze hair, a pizza face and the ability to never say the right thing or be as smart or as sporty as he was. It was even more heartbreaking when I had teachers who had taught him. They were excited to teach me, thinking I was his clone, only to overtly express their disappointment that I wasn't as good as him. I tried to differentiate myself by excelling in the arts subjects like drama, film and television, and English and ancient history. 
But at the end of the day, I always felt like I couldn't compare to him because I was always working so damn hard to gain recognition or to be good at something. And yet for him, it just came naturally. Cue my brother drinking. I'm not sure what age he started, but by the time I was 15 and he was 17, he had used every lie under the sun to disguise his drinking to my father. There was that time he drank green cordial that was past the expiry date, or the time he had a deodorant fight and therefore was feeling nauseous and had a terrible migraine. He could pull the wool over my dad's eyes without even trying. Of course, that meant by the time I started drinking, my father was far less tolerant of any excuse I tried to conjure up. I, of course, figured that my brother gained so much popularity because he was drinking and going to parties. So you know what I did? I started drinking and going to the same parties because our school was so small that everyone knew everyone. And of course, I was Hawley's little sister, so I was welcome. And of course, alcohol just found its way to me. It didn't matter if my dad only allowed me to take one or two cruises to a party. There was always plenty of alcohol on offer. All you had to do was ask. For me, I created this new identity. Instead of being the perfectionist, try-hard study nerd, I was fun, confident, and carefree. It became abundantly clear that people liked drunk Beck over sober Beck any day. At the age of 15, I had managed to convince myself that I was a much better person with alcohol. Fast forward a few years after I moved out of home and 1,000 kilometres away to Brisbane. I would fly home generally twice or three times a year to visit family and friends. But I never survived in my hometown for more than 24 hours without intoxication. I had to be drunk to be in a place that had made me feel so depressed for such a large part of my life. I didn't know how to operate otherwise. I remember one night in 2009 when I was home for one event or another and I had a massive fight with my stepmom. I don't remember why, but whatever it was aggravated me so much that I threw my cup of gin, lime and soda at her face. I refused to apologize and locked myself in my room as if I was 10 again. I was becoming an aggressive and nasty drunk. And this was particularly troubling for my stepmom, who had only a few years before left her abusive drunk ex-husband. I think this development in my persona scared her a lot. But it scared me even more. I was so ashamed and embarrassed of what I had done and who I was becoming that I locked it in a secret box in my mind and I didn't tell anyone about it until now. Over the years, I tried to stay particularly close to my elder brother, given that we had experienced a lot growing up and were the closest in age. He moved quite regularly with the army and with him, he had a long-term partner who I didn't particularly get along with. In the past, I would say that I don't think I've ever had a sparkling relationship with any of my brother's girlfriends, partly because I feel jealous that his attention is diverted, and also because I hold him in such high esteem that it's hard for anyone to measure up and be good enough for him. His first serious partner he was with for eight years or so, and she didn't drink at all. There was this natural confusion on my part that this bizarre person who didn't drink was with my brother who drank quite frequently and usually to excess. While we never really butted heads, we did the more feminine thing of quietly making jabs at each other. There was a night in 2014 where we finally did have an all-out war of words with each other. I was in North Queensland for my cousin's wedding and on night or two before I had gone out drinking with my brother. 
I ended up chatting up and finding myself quite comfortable with an Irish guy who my brother also really got along with. It came to the point in the night, or morning I think, where we were trying to figure out whose place to crash at. My brother had said that this random guy could crash at his. He had no issues. But when we arrived at his place, his partner was livid. She let me know in no uncertain terms that she thought I was a drunken slut, and she refused to allow my shenanigans to take place in her house. My brother tried to defend me, but the damage had been dealt, and I ended up staying at the Irish guy's house in a double sleeping bag on the floor. It definitely wasn't my classiest moment, or the only Irish guy I fancied, but it was the first time I had seen my brother defend me or defend my drunken actions. Of course, I took this as him approving of my promiscuity and binge drinking, which wasn't the case at all. When my brother finally left the relationship, he found himself single for the first time in a long time. Guess what he did? He drank. A lot. He perhaps experienced what most people would in their late teens or early 20s, but he was in his late 20s. At this point in my life, I was settled down with my now husband and found it quite hard to accept that my brother wanted to drink and party with randoms from the army rather than spend time with me. I felt worried and concerned for his partying ways because sometimes he would become such an arrogant asshole and so foreign to the person he truly was. Thankfully, during this rebellious time in his life, he met his now wife. I still remember the night he told me about her. She was blonde, a beautician, and from South Africa. It was funny because I had told him before things ended with his ex that I could see him, for some reason, being with a blonde from another country that loved to travel, just as he did. That night was a really special night for us as we bonded over a campfire in freezing weather and two or three goon sacks. I ended up getting so drunk that I vomited cheap red wine in my sleep all through the tent, much to my husband's disgust. I also decided to go fishing with Cheetos and a hand reel at 2am in the morning. I didn't catch anything, much to my disappointment and surprise. In later months, I noticed my older brother would go through periods of not talking to anyone. No one would hear from him for a week or so, and all of a sudden he'd resurface and apologise for his quietness. What we didn't know was that he was sometimes drinking very heavily and by himself and would fall into these deep depressive bouts of doubting everything in his life. Words cannot even begin to express how grateful I am that my brother's now wife reached out to me at the time and let me know that she was worried about him and worried about his alcohol consumption. I mean, she loved the fact that he enjoyed exploring the vineyards, distilleries and breweries on the weekends with her. But she noticed that while she could stop after sampling a few choice beverages, he seemed to be unable to. It was her love, care and attention to his mental well-being that really made me start to question whether this was normal, or perhaps something far more destructive at work. The only other sibling that was of legal drinking age at this point was my younger brother, who was three years younger than me. He'd always been very introverted, but once again, very popular. He ended up making a good group of friends through school who liked the same heavy metal he did, and he really came out of his shell through playing in bands and going to local gigs. When he turned 18, I planned a secret birthday party for him and invited all of these said friends. I made a cake in the shape of a guitar and was really hoping that he understood how much we loved him, as he also suffered really bad bouts of depression where he would not leave his room for days at a time. But... He ended up getting absolutely smashed on tequila and became a really rude drunk. It took me by surprise as I'd never seen this side of him. He was arrogant and mean and didn't care who he hurt because it was his birthday. 
Of course, he later apologized profusely, and I never really thought about it again until he did it a few years later for another birthday I planned for him, perhaps his 21st, I think. Once again, I just chalked it up to him being drunk, and it was just one of those nights where he was being a bit of a dick. But it almost became a pattern of him being depressed and introverted, then being drunk and extroverted, but in a mean way. I didn't realise that he'd been using alcohol as a coping mechanism until one night in 2013 when one of his best mates messaged me on Facebook asking me to check up on my little brother. I was really confused, but then his friend explained that he was sure he had drunk a whole bottle of vodka as he'd been gaming with him only hours earlier. Sure enough, I checked on my brother and he was absolutely wasted. He wasn't mean to me, but when my father discovered how drunk he was, he was absolutely livid. A war of words ensued, which to an outside might have appeared funny, because my little brother was calling my dad fat and remarking on his fat belly. But something was triggered in my father, and I saw an anger and disappointment in him that was usually only reserved for me. For reasons I can't remember, the police were called, and after a few stern words, it was decided that my brother was just best to sleep and deal with everything the next day. I'm pretty sure he would have been better off in hospital as he was almost catatonic, but in some way, I suppose he learned his lesson by having to deal with a hangover for a week. When I put these moments together, it becomes obvious that there was a serious misuse of alcohol in my family. Us three elder children had experienced varying levels of abuse at our mother's hand and were old enough to remember it in almost perfect clarity. The other thing we shared was that we abused alcohol and used it to heal some past hurt, or to at least forget that hurt for a while. Now for those saying, well, obviously alcoholism runs in your family, I want to point out that my siblings and I were raised quite closely alongside my father's nieces, my cousins. Beside the enormous impact of suffering childhood abuse, divorce, and having a very mentally unwell mother, our childhoods were otherwise not that dissimilar. They, however, are both incredible women who I have never seen struggle once with alcohol. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen them intoxicated past the point of tipsy. I wish they could say the same for me, but the truth is I almost ruined one of their weddings and the other one's engagement party. The amount of anger I still hold for myself over these events is phenomenal. There are times I really don't understand how they could still choose to have me in their life and love me after all the irreparable damage my drinking has caused them during the happiest moments of their lives. And don't worry, you'll hear all about how much of a train wreck I was at these events in later episodes. But if you want to look a little closer to home, you could also look at my younger siblings, who for the most part were not fully exposed to my mother's abusive behaviour as they were too young to remember and had far less exposure to her in the formative years. One of my younger sisters is seven years younger than me, while my youngest brother is ten years younger. In them, I see much of my older brother and I with the unmistakable friendship and bond they have forged. Yet the difference between them and us is that they didn't bond over drunken shenanigans, nor do they feel the need to heal hurts through drinking to oblivion. They've both suffered trauma of their own, but they've learned to heal and cope through other mechanisms rather than relying on alcohol. 
I will address my brothers and my drinking patterns in more depth during an episode based on our trip to Japan in 2015. But for now, let these stories serve as evidence that perhaps our childhood trauma led us to using alcohol, among other vices, as a coping mechanism. Something that I only started thinking about once I got sober is the message we are sending to the little people around us. For instance, I started to notice all these memes on Facebook that were funny on the surface, but perhaps hinted at a bigger issue no one seems to notice. Take this vintage looking poster with a mother holding a baby. The caption is, you're the reason mummy drinks. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Or the one with two mums clinking two shots of tequila together with the caption, let's take a shot for every time one of our kids says mum. Or perhaps the one that says motherhood, fueled by coffee, sustained by wine. What about the one that says the most expensive part of raising a kid is the cost of all the wine? I really don't want to come across as being sexist here. So I'll put out there what I think has happened to lead to this sudden acceptance of mommy alcoholics. For such a long time, we accepted that fathers would go to work, come home and grab a beer and sit on the couch until they fell asleep. Fathers for my generation were seen to be like Homer Simpson, while mothers were expected to be Wonder Woman, nurses, educators, cleaners, organizers, and personal assistants just to keep the household running. I think somewhere along the line, women rebelled and said, hey, if he gets to drink, then why not me? Which is a fair call. I think the point that was missed though, is that women never felt okay with their partners drinking the moment they got home from work well into the evening. It sends a message that to put up with the family situation, alcohol is needed to inebriate and quieten the force of having children. I just had this conversation with one of my best friends the other day, where she genuinely feels like she is a single mother because her husband comes home and drinks until he passes out on the couch. He gets to stop working at 5pm, but she has to continue being a full-time mum while running her own business as well, and she doesn't get a break. I really wish I had something positive to offer her, but I didn't. I just said that I think she needed time away, like a little retreat for herself so she can remember who she is as a woman rather than solely as a mother. The sad part was that she said she couldn't do it because she can't trust her husband with the children because she knows he won't do it sober. To me, it just sounds like a shitty situation and it's made so shitty because he is using alcohol as a coping mechanism for the stress of working, being the breadwinner and living with young children. I am so incredibly proud of her for not following him down that rabbit hole of using alcohol as a coping mechanism. Instead, she's using exercise, which is probably the best thing she could do given the situation. She's focusing on making herself feel better, look better, and overall be a stronger woman and better mother, all without resorting to drinking to deal with the current situation. Don't get me wrong, she does enjoy a good alcoholic beverage from time to time, and she's not afraid to let the world know. But the thing is, it's generally in moderation, and when she is put being mothered to rest for the day. The point is, regardless of your role in a little person's life, your actions and choices can have lasting impacts on their impressionable minds and may result in them learning coping mechanisms that result in destructive behaviours down the track. Now, before I get bashed for not knowing how hard it is because I'm not a mother, I 100% agree. I genuinely have no idea how hard it is. But as someone who has been desperately trying to fall pregnant for the past two and a half years, I can say that the last thing I'd want my child to think is that they are the reason I drink. My father had five kids who, for the most part, were so severely brainwashed they believed he was the devil reincarnate. Yet, 
Not once did he pick up a bottle when it would have been so easy to. He had a father who liked to drink rather than raise the children, and he made the decision before we were born that he wouldn't be like that. Perhaps his strict approach towards alcohol led us to be more rebellious with it, hiding it from him and keeping it a secret. Perhaps because alcohol wasn't normalised in our household, we didn't understand what drinking in moderation meant and only ever drank to excess because we couldn't understand why someone would just enjoy one drink. But I do know that I never questioned if I was the reason my father relied on a drug to get through each day. I'm sure there were days it would have made it easier, but it wasn't ever something he considered. There are so many hard things to navigate as a parent, and I know my dad still wonders every day if he had done X instead of Y, would things have been better for us? I don't think he's alone. I mean, I look at my friends who are parents and they are constantly questioning whether they are being the best parent they can be to this little human being they love so much. So I suppose that's why I feel kind of shocked when I see messages on social media which basically say this little person that I love so much also forces me to drink to reach a state of happiness that I otherwise can't achieve. Does the child then grow up wondering why their parents seem to need alcohol to get through a day? Do they then think that alcohol is the cure-all solution to any rough day or moment? I don't know because I was never exposed to this as a child, but I do wish that society had a healthier outlet for parents who do feel they are at their wit's end rather than relying on a substance that can be so destructive. Once again, I don't want to sound preachy or purvey that I know anything about parenthood, but I have found that the ongoing social acceptance and simple habits that are centered around alcohol can be really toxic given the right circumstances. I mean, I genuinely wish I could handle having one or two drinks and leave it at that because I love the taste of gin, lime and soda and try to devour a good bottle of Chianti Merlot through my nose alone. But I know I can't because whether it is in my DNA or just due to my trauma, alcohol is an addictive and ever so sweet comforter when I am at my lowest. It lulls me into a belief that everything will be better with just a glass of red and that now I have opened the bottle, I best finish it off in case, you know, it goes off or something. I lie to myself and have used every excuse under the sun to justify my drinking. That is why I think this culture of being a parent is synonymous with alcohol consumption is dangerous because it justifies behavior which can lead to deadly habits. At some point, I had to call bullshit on what society said was okay and made up my own mind as to what I deem is okay. I now decide who I want to be as a person, a parent, a daughter or wife, and it's not based on any drunk lie I need to believe to justify my behavior. So that brings us to the end of episode two of Becky's Not Drinking Tonight. I apologize sincerely for anyone I might have offended, particularly my family who may not talk to me after this episode. But I also encourage anyone who is struggling with alcohol misuse or dependency to reach out. Families are wonderful things and are there to love and support each other. I know my journey to sobriety wouldn't have worked if I didn't have the ongoing love and support of mine. And for that, I am so very grateful. Make sure to join me next Friday for Becky's Not Drinking Tonight while she figures out her sexuality. It's going to be one full of drunken debauchery during an extended period of my life where I was trying to figure out who I was attracted to and why. Thank you once again for listening and make sure to like, subscribe and share so we can bring more people on this journey of understanding alcoholic use disorder and sudden sobriety. Until next time, take care and look after yourself.